This is Real Estate Rookie episode 374. One of the things we're going to talk about today are different ways to screen a tenant. So normally you hear about the credit check, the background check, but we're going to go over a third report that you should be verifying when screening applicants for your rental unit. I'm Ashley and he's Tony. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. Now, Ash touched on what we're going to hit on today, but we're also going to talk about ADUs, what they are, how can they help you get approved for a mortgage. We're going to share some hard truths about real estate investing that you might not realize as a rookie investor. But first, let's talk about hard money loans. What are they and how can they help you as you're building your real estate business? All right. So our first question today comes from Nick. Nicholas A. And Nicholas says, when it comes to hard money lenders, do they usually fund the purchase and the rehab? And are holding costs separate? I just want to make sure I understand things. So Ashley, your experience working with hard money lenders, uh, what are they usually covering for you? So when I did it, it was 80% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab. Um, but there are so many different variations uh, you can actually get with a hard money lender as to what they will cover. So I don't think there's any like set fast hard rule as to what you can get covered. I mean, there's some people that can get 100% of their property covered, 100% of their rehab. And a lot of the factors that go into determining what you can get, what kind of terms with a hard money lender really go off of your experience and also what kind of relationship you have with that hard money lender. So if you already did 10 deals with them, you may be getting better terms than say me just coming in for the first time getting a loan, even though I have experience, maybe my first time doing it with them. Or if you have no experience coming in, the lender is definitely going to be a lot more conservative with what options they're going to be able to give you. And I also just want to clarify for everyone that's listening or watching the difference between LTV and LTC, because they're very similar, but uh, from a financial perspective, they can make a big difference. LTV is loan to value. LTC is loan to cost. So say that you've got a property and your total project budget, so your purchase price plus your rehab is $100,000. 80% on the LTC is $80,000, right? Because your total project cost is 100, 80% of 100 is 80. So that means the most that a bank is going to give you if they're focused on loan to cost is 80% of 100 or $80,000. Let's say that same property has an after repair value of $200,000. If they're going 80% of your LTV, right? Now they're looking at the 100 versus the 200 and 80% of 200 is $160,000. So you guys can see that's a difference. That's a big difference there, right? 80,000 versus 160,000. So just make sure when you're talking to these hard money lenders are the percentages that they want, is it a percentage of the loan to cost or a percentage of the loan to value? Are they going to give you 80% of your project costs or 80% of the after repair value? Um, again, I've, I've never personally used hard money. We've gotten a lot of quotes, but we've just had an easier time using private money instead. Um, but for the hard money lenders I spoke with, I think all of them were focused on loan to cost and not necessarily loan to value. Yeah. And what your hard money lender will do too is do an appraisal. So it's not even the after repair value. It's more of the value right then. So if you're buying a property at 100000 but it appraises for 120000 
they may give you 80% of that 100 or they may fund the whole 100% if it is 80% of that 120 or whatever that the actual value is on the property too. There's so many different ways to go about it, right? Like I, I remember my first deal, you know, it was a long distance burr and that bank, they were focused on uh, after repair value or loan to value, but they did two things. They did an appraisal of the property in its current condition. Then they took my bid and then they did, you know, like a, a desk appraisal pretty much to say, okay, if you make all of these changes, here's what we predict the after repair value to be. And then they said, as long as your total project cost is 70% or less of what we project the after repair value to be, then we'll fund it all. So uh, I think the point in sharing that is that there's no one size fits all. Every bank, every hard money lender, every institution is going to be slightly different. Just make sure you understand those those nuances there. And then the second part of Nicholas's question is, are holding costs separate? So yes, I don't know of a hard money lender that pays the holding cost also. So holding costs are if there's interest being paid back to the hard money lender during that time period. So maybe you have monthly payments back to them, or this is your utilities. Got to have the electric on for the contractors to plug in all their DeWalt batteries or <laughs> Milwaukee tools. <laughs> and then also your insurance on the property. You want to have the property insured while you're you're having people work on it or you're working on it yourself. So there are different holding costs, including maybe even cutting the grass, you know, having the, the grass cut nice so you don't get a, a fine from the town. So those are things to understand, too, that those are things you have to pay out of pocket while the project is going on. So that's hard money. Nicholas, hopefully that answers your question. Uh, our next question is going to be about dealing with a property or buying a property that already has tenants and what's the best way to approach that. But first, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our show sponsors. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. 
So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, guys, so we just wrapped up a question about hard money lending. Hopefully that was super informative for you. Now we want to jump into a question from Cody W. And Cody's question is, I have my first property under contract. It's a triplex. It currently has tenants. How or what can I or should I do to transition them uh, to having me as their new landlord? So my recommendation is to kick them all out and turn it into an Airbnb and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. No, I'm totally kidding. I'm gonna have so many people mad at me for you know the, the housing crisis here, but no, totally, totally kidding there, Cody. Um, Ash, you're obviously the expert here, so I'll, I'll defer to you. Um, I, the one thing I will call out is we just interviewed Dion McNeely on episode 369, 369, and uh, he talks about the binder strategy, which I thought was incredible. And it was actually a way to get his tenants to on their own, suggest a rent increase when he took over their leases, when he took over as the, the new landlord. So go back to 369, episode 369 with Dion and, and get some insight from there. But Ash, obviously you've done this a ton of times. What's your approach? What's your process for this transition period? Yeah. So I just want to say you said the, the wrong episode number. It's 369er um, to clarify there for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what I have done when I inherit tenants is first I talk to the seller and make sure this is okay to do. I send each tenant an estoppel agreement. So this agreement just verifies all the information the landlord is telling me and all the information that's in the lease agreement that he gave me, if any, uh, is the same as what the tenant says. So just their name, what unit they're in, their contact information. So I do have their information for the day I take over. Um, you know, do they own the appliances? Do they have any pets? Who else is living in the property? Are there any repairs that they need to have done? So I actually have a, a tenant that's moving out that has lived in the property the whole five years, I think, that I've owned this property. And she was an inherited tenant. And I was going through some of her old files and I was looking at the estoppel agreement from when she first moved in and under where it says, um, are there any repairs? It says, uh, many will send a letter with specifications <laughs> and then attaches like this three page handwritten, you know, cursive letter of just like all these things that she wants fixed and things like that. But we were, we were so sad she's leaving. She's been a, a great resident and we loved having her, but she can't do the stairs anymore, but we'll miss her. Anyways, so the Sapo agreement to ask certain questions like that. And also, when did your lease start? When did you move in? Uh, when does your lease end? Are you month to month? Are you on a one-year lease? What rent do you pay? Do you pay any other fees? Who pays the utilities? Um, do you, do the landlord, things like that? And then I have them sign it, send it back to me. Then I let them know usually on the day it closes, just in case it doesn't close that exact day. But I let them, I contact them with information. So I've done this different ways. Um, I don't like to talk to people on the phone. So it's usually having somebody deliver letters to them the day we close saying, here's the new property owner's information for you to contact. Here's who you contact for maintenance. Who's here you contact for this. But you could easily send that. If you've got their email, you can easily send this out by an email. If you text, set up a Google voice number. That's your property contact number. So not everybody's calling your personal cell phone that you can, you know, send a text even with today. You know, I took over as a new landlord for the property. Here's all the information you need. Please let me know if you have any questions, but, um, I think just setting expectations 
as to things might have went this way with the old landlord, but now I'm taking over and here are what the rules and policies are. And of course, you can't violate the lease agreement by demanding these new things that happen or how they should do things, but being very clear cut as to here's how you pay rent. Here's who you contact for maintenance. Here's the the maintenance process. Um, and just giving them as much information as possible on that first day. And I'm sure there's still going to be a ton of questions that come in, but document, 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 keep a list of all these questions or all the things that happen because a tenant could ask you a question like the day that you take over and be like, oh, I didn't include that in my welcome letter. Okay. I'll just answer it real quick. You answer it. Well, then you completely forget to update your welcome letter with that information because it just took you two seconds to respond to them. So keeping track of all the questions. And eventually when you're 83 years old, you will have the perfect welcome letter where nobody will need to ask a question. Really, really great breakdown, Ash. Obviously you're, you're like the, the queen of, of long-term rental property management. Um, I think the one piece of advice that I'd give to our rookie audience as well is um, remember that one of the biggest costs for a traditional long-term rental is turnover. So having your property sit empty and uh, the time between a, a current tenant leaving and your next tenant coming in. So it, sometimes we can get super excited around the idea of like, man, the current tenants only pay me a thousand bucks for market rents or 2000. Uh, you know, I could, you know, give them a, a, a notice of, of non-renewal and then have a, a tenant that's paying double, but say it takes you four months to get that increased rent. Like how much money did you actually just make? Because you had four months of vacancy. So um, just as you're making that transition, Cody, um, and I don't know if your goal is to increase the rents, but just for folks that are going through that process, just remember uh, vacancy costs a big, uh, a big expense for traditional long-term rentals. All right, our next question here comes from Erica R. And Erica says, what do folks use for pulling background checks slash credit reports? Um, so again, Ash, what, what's your go-to platform for pulling uh, background checks, credit reports. And just just like one caveat or one additional question to that is, and I'm sure this will vary from state to state, but like, are there laws or rules around at what point in the process you can pull that background check? So yeah, I guess give me, give me how you manage that. Well, you need their social security number to do that, pull a background or credit check. So you can't really pull that information until they've filled out an application. So what a lot of landlords do is they actually don't do the credit check themselves. They outsource it to a third party where they actually go directly to the applicant and ask the applicant, please, you know, they fill in their information directly so that I'm not given their social security number to enter it into the data to, you know, pull their background or credit check. So it's all done on their end where they get an email from the third party service and the email says, we're going to do a background credit check on you for, you know, to apply you for this unit. And then they fill in all their information and then we just get the final reports on the end. And almost every single property management software has this integrated in them now. So there's Aval, there's Rent Ready, which if you're a Bigger Pockets Pro member, I think it's like $1 or it's free to use. <laughs> and then um, I use Appfolio. I have used Buildium. And they all have some kind of service integrated into them where they, you literally just click a button that says screen now and it will do a credit check and it will do a background check. And one thing that we also do is an income verification. So this is where they have to upload their bank statements and it actually verifies that if they say they made $50,000 a year, 
that we're going through, looking through their deposits, showing, yes, on a monthly basis, they're pulling in, you know, $3,500 a month or whatever it is. What's 50,000? That'd be like a thousand a week. So just under uh, somewhere around there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So, um, the income verification is something that we have added on additionally to the credit and the background check. But if you don't want to use any kind of property management software, I have used before uh, tenantreports.com. So that's another one. You just set up an account and you go ahead and have them do the background credit check for you too. Um, and then there's sometimes when you're doing this, if you do use a property management software, you actually have to get verified as far as like how much information you're going to pull from the tenant where they like will do a zoom with you and be like, okay, we want to make sure that you have a lock on your office door. We want to make sure that you have the filing cabinet. You have a lock for that. You have a phone line. They call the phone lines, make sure that's, and basically they're just like verifying that you're like a trusted person in a trusted office to actually take people's information too. So there are some companies that require that for you to actually go and do the, the credit and background check yourself. But um, to have the applicant do it through email, there are the issues with people who don't use email or don't use technology well when they're trying to figure out the online application and the entering their information for the credit and background check. But usually not that many. Let me ask this question to you, Ashley. I'm, I'm sure there's some rookies out there who are listening that don't want the added expense of maybe paying for a Napfolio or Buildium or paying for these background checks. What's your word of advice to those folks that are worried about the additional cost of doing this? Well, depending on your state, you can bill it back to the applicant. So it's an application fee. So in New York State, there's a law, I think it's like $20. You can't charge an application fee over that amount. Um, so you have to be careful what your state regulations are. And But you can bill it back to the tenant or you have them pay it directly. So like when you uh, sign up for you know, tenant reports or whatever, you can have the tenant pay for their own credit and background check when they're actually getting. So you, you know, say send, put in their email, their name, the tenant, com the tenant reports company or whatever company you're using will actually bill them directly. So it's not an expense to you at all. And say that you're in a situation where maybe you can't bill back, or I don't know, maybe you don't feel comfortable or the other properties in your, your market aren't billing back. Would you recommend that someone maybe just skip the background check altogether to avoid that cost? Well, first of all, look into what your laws are as to what you can deny someone for regarding a background check and what you, you can and you can't deny them for. I think that that's very important. Um, if you are renting a, a single family home, I would say that I would be more lenient on not checking the background check. But the the problem with the background check is I don't want to have, you know, four different tenants and one have a criminal history and it affect the whole four unit, you know, or something. So I, uh, I, I'm, we're definitely more cautious of that when moving somebody into multiple units. Yeah. I would say, you know, spend like, cause you know, how much is a background check? Right. And it's like, if you just spent several hundred thousand dollars, maybe to buy this property, spend the 50 or a hundred dollars, whatever it is to get the background check to. And it's usually not even that much. It's 20 bucks usually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So it's like, spend the money to do it, invest a little bit of time. It, that just brought up a, a big point as to do not have them give you their credit karma report 
or them give you. So if they say, oh, I actually have my own credit report, I'll give it to you. Don't accept that whole your own. It is so there. There's this amazing photo out there. That's me photoshopped next to Tony and a Celtics basketball player that everybody thinks is real. <laughs> you could think that this credit report is real. That's true. Yeah, because you could it'd be easy to doctor a credit report. A credit report. Yeah, super true. Super true. And if this is your first time ever renting it out and you've actually never really seen what a credit report can look like and they can all look so different no matter where you're getting them from. It's the same information, but different of, the, of style of format on the report that you couldn't know any better as to what you're looking at. Well, super important point. Get your background checks, uh, rookies. Let's make sure that you you check that box. So guys, we have two more questions for you. We're going to talk a little bit about what are some of the things that no one tells you when you get into real estate investing that you should be aware of. And then we're also going to talk about ADUs and whether or not they can be factored into your ability to get approved for a mortgage. But first, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our show sponsors. <laughs> I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. 
Hiring, your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Ashley just gave an incredible breakdown about the importance of background checks. Now we want to jump into a question from Katie Miller, who's actually the head of Bigger Pockets Publishing, and she posted this in the Bigger Pockets forums, and she said, "What's something nobody tells you about real estate investing, but they should tell you?" <laughs> um, I feel like this is opening up Pandora's box a little bit, right? Um, I, I think it, it's so easy to get enamored with the successes that you see on social, on YouTube, reading the books, wherever it is. Um, the people oftentimes forget the hard work that goes into this, the success that you're seeing. When you when you listen to the Bigger Pockets real estate show, you listen to the Ricky podcast, and you hear the stories of people who have, you know, built these big portfolios. It's easy to latch onto that. But if there's one thing that I want to remind rookies of, is that it takes time, it takes sacrifice, and it's not something that happens overnight. And you've got to be willing to, to grind long enough. You've got to be, be willing to, to have that grit to stick with it long enough to really build the foundation for a business that will eventually give you the life you're looking for. But most people give up way too soon. So that's one big thing that jumps out at, at, at me, Ash. What, what's something that, that you, you think folks need to know? I would say the emotional roller coaster of it. <laughs> First of all, like the acquisition piece, like you're pumped up about a deal and then you don't get it or it falls through, things like that. Like you actually put so much work into trying to get a property and then it falls through or someone they take someone else's offer. But more importantly, like dealing with residents, like you're dealing with somebody's home. And like that's taken me been a real struggle for me is kind of balancing how to handle that because you have to have somewhat of thick skin in order to say, no, I'm sticking to the lease agreement. You haven't paid your rent in three months. I'm sorry, but this eviction is going through. But also realizing at the same time that that's somebody's home. And for whatever reason it may be, and you know, some people choose to spend their money on other things. And yes, that also agitates me to see them out the next day buying a brand new iPhone and waving and smiling at me. But I um I think that was a really hard thing for me to learn is to how to balance that as to how not to feel guilty, how not to have almost like um, like build up such a barrier inside that I become cold to residents because I like want to stick to my guns and I want to be like, this is my property. Like, this is my kid's future. Like, I, you know, I need that money. It's not some big corporation you're scamming. It's just me. <laughs> and so that was a really hard thing for me to struggle with for a very long time as to how to balance that as how to show empathy and compassion for my residents, but also to 
sticked by stick by the lease and stick by what was also fair and and right for me too. Guys, we're we're going to link to this question uh, in the show notes because there, there's a lot of really good responses here as well. But there's one that jumped out. There's a couple that jumped out at me. I just want to read two of them here really quickly. Uh, one comes from Luland. And Luland says, uh, real estate investing is not really an investment. It's both an investment and a business. And man, that is so, so true. I think a lot of people get into real estate investing expecting that it'll be completely, completely passive which unless you're doing syndications, unless you're uh, maybe a private money lender, those are the only two that I can think of that that can really get to that precipice of true passivity. Because even if you have a property manager, you've still got to manage your property manager, right? Um, But those two, lending and uh, investing in syndications are probably the only two truly passive ways. But the thing that people forget is that you are building a business, especially if you want to get to a point where you've got a a relatively big portfolio. Maybe now you've got someone on your team that's helping you with different things. And and now you've got to manage and lead people. And, you know, there's just a lot of business fundamentals that I think a lot of new investors overlook that probably makes building that portfolio a little bit harder for them. But I've I've always seen myself as an entrepreneur who works in the world of real estate, not necessarily just a real estate investor. Yeah, one that stood out to me was actually that Katie Miller had written as her responses, the mail and the tax. It's overwhelming. I've never gotten more snail mail in my life. And the first thing I thought of was a picture of Tony or maybe it was Sarah, one of you, which is you're sitting on your couch and there's just piles of mail all over the place. And I was like, that is so relatable. Um, 100%. Having so much mail just piled around you. The paper cuts. <laughs> but um. <laughs> I have found a solution to that. And that's why I was excited about this answer is because there are virtual mailboxes where you actually send your mail and you can find them locally, a local, like mine is like a ship store that it's at. And they actually will scan you, your mail, so you can see what it is. Then you can also like, you can select what they do with it. Do you want them to shred it? Do you want them to actually open it and scan it to you? Do you want them to forward it to you? So. That has been like a game changer. And I still have like my P.O. box set up where I'm going and getting the mail, opening it up, everything. And there's still some bills that just haven't been changed yet. So like I spent Saturday morning going through and like I want every bill. I'm so sick of having to do some of the mail. So I um, the one I use is post scan mail and it's been working out uh, great for me. It really reduces the amount of clutter and paper within my house. (laughs) All right. So our final question today comes from Maria P. And Maria's question is, I'm looking to purchase a two unit property with an FHA loan. And there's a property I like, a house with a legal ADU. Can I use the ADU income to help me qualify for the loan or can I not use the ADU income? Uh, So really quick, ADU stands for accessory dwelling unit, which is basically just like a thing like a guest house or some kind of additional structure on your property that it's not attached to the main home or usually not attached, depending on how you set it up. Um, So Ash and I actually pulled this information from HUD.gov, just to make sure we're giving you guys the right information. And there's basically two scenarios that you'll see. There's a first scenario where the uh, ADU already exists on the property. And in that scenario, if you're looking for an FHA loan to purchase that property, you can use up to 75% of the income from that ADU to help you qualify for the purchase of that home through the FHA. And Ash, you, you want to talk about the second scenario there? 
Yeah. So in that one too, like, let's just give an example. If there's somebody renting it, when you purchase it for a thousand dollars, you'll be able to take 750 per month and add it to your income for the property as rental income. And then, um, the second scenario is if you plan to build an ADU, you have to show your plans and everything like that, but they will take 50% of the rental income and apply that to your income to help with your, your debt to income for the loan. So with, with this is if there's already a tenant in place, it's easy to know this is what the rental income is. But if there's not a tenant in place, you have to go and you have to find comps as to what you can rent that property for. And the bank has to agree that, yes, that would be the amount. Even better, if you can find a tenant uh, beforehand, that would uh, be able to, to want to rent it too for whatever you're saying. So we hit on a lot of really good questions today. We talked about the difference of loan to value versus loan to cost for hard money loans. We touched on Ashley's process for transitioning in as a new landlord and what an estoppel agreement is and why you should get one. Uh, the importance of background checks and how to execute a background check the right way when you're screening a tenant. And obviously, we gave you some insights uh, just recently on the ADUs and, and how that can factor into your ability to get approved for a mortgage. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's Rookie Reply. If you haven't already, make sure you like and subscribe to us on YouTube and join the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. You can also check out mine and Tony's book, Real Estate Partnerships in the Bigger Pockets Bookstore. I'm Ashley and he's Tony. Make sure you check out our social media links in the description below so you can find out more information about us. We'll see you guys next time. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step -step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.